0: Let's open with some prayer. Gracious Lord, we praise you uh, for the gift of technology that we would be able to to meet while we are separated. Father, we ask that you would uh, open my lips now to declare your praise, to declare your word to your people, and that in hearing and receiving your word, your people would be strengthened and blessed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Every story has its towering figures. Characters without whom the story would not be complete. They may not be the the main character, but they provide something crucial. Just try to imagine the Lord of the Rings without Gandalf or Star Wars without Yoda. As we've already seen and will continue to see in our series God's Big Story, The main character of Scripture and and all of life is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Bible is God's story about God redeeming a people for relationship with Himself, for His honor and glory. But along the way, we encounter major figures who play crucial roles, and one of them is featured in our reading today, Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel. Just a quick background on Abraham, so we're all on the same page here. Before God called Abraham, or Abram, as he was known then, he was living in a place called Ur, which was a hotbed of idolatry and moon worship. In Genesis 12, God calls Abraham and he makes him a promise. God is going to bless Abraham. He's going to give him descendants and a land to dwell in. And out of Abraham, God would build a great nation, a nation so large that its citizens would be more numerous than the stars. Abraham faithfully gathers up his stuff, and he heads out to the land that God promised. Now, in our passage in Genesis 15, many years have passed. Abraham and his wife Sarah are not getting any younger (laughs) And they still have no son, never mind this nation that they've been promised. And so questions of when God will act are starting to rise. In this context, God makes a covenant with Abraham. They enter into a binding relationship with one another. As we look at our passage, what we want to keep in mind is the question, how does this account fit into God's big story? And we'll answer that question by seeing what the call of God is, how he enables his people to follow his call, and how he is at work to fulfill his call. That's what this covenant's going to show us. So let's open our Bibles together. Hopefully, you have a Bible with you, uh, or you could follow along in the order of service. We're going to start by looking at how Genesis 15 shows us the call of God. What is it that God calls his people to? In one sense, it's actually quite straightforward. God calls his people to a life of faith. The story of Abraham is is the story of faith. I mentioned previously how God appeared to Abraham. And he told him to follow him to a land he didn't know, away from the life he did know and the family that had supported him. Those first steps were steps of faith. But time has gone on, and Abraham is wondering... The joys of church at home. (laughs) Abraham is wondering when this is going to pay off. And he says to God in verses 2 and 3, Lord, I still have no son and heir. This guy, Eleazar... He's going to be my heir, and look, uh, he's a fine individual. I like him. He's a nice guy, but he's not the son that you promised me. And Clearly, I'm paraphrasing a little bit there. God responds with words of surety. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. There's no wavering here. It's a sure promise. God has said it, and it will happen. That's true of all of God's promises. He says it and it will happen. This shows us what Derek Kidner points out that faith is about trusting in the promises of God. It's as if God is saying to Abraham, You've done well walking by faith so far, keep trusting in me to deliver. Even those of us who know and love Jesus, we need to ask ourselves, do I believe in the promises of God? Do I believe that God is working all things together for my ultimate good? Do I believe that Christ will one day return and put to end all of the pain and suffering? Do I believe that God is working through even a terrible virus that has driven people physically apart? That perhaps he's using this time for people to consider again our own limitations, our our own mortality, and to drive a people that have fallen so far away from God back to him. That's my prayer. That's what I'm hoping God's doing with this time. Do we trust that he could be doing that? You know, often we don't ask questions like these because we think that living by faith means shutting off our brains, right? Never asking questions or pursuing truth, but just accepting and blindly believing like we're, we're mindless lemmings marching towards the edge of a cliff. But that's not what the life of faith is. Notice that Abraham asked God questions here. And he asks another in verse 8, he says, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Meaning, the land that he was promised. And God never rebukes Abraham for asking these questions. In fact, he comforts him with answers. You see, the problem is not asking God questions. It's asking questions of God. It's asking questions that doubt who he is, his goodness. And not trusting in the promises he made. Abraham is not doubting that God would deliver. He's asking when and how questions, not if. We can ask questions. We just need to know why we're asking them. If they're doubting questions, or if, like Abraham, they are questions along the lines of, Lord, I believe. Would you help my unbelief? I believe in you. I trust in you. Strengthen my faith. Questions like that are questions worth asking. Asking, saying to God, I don't know why this virus has happened. Lord, I don't know why you've taken sports away from me. Let me tell you, you want to see me struggle, get rid of sports for an extended period of time. Lord, we don't know why you're doing this. But would you help us to understand? Would you help us to see how you can work in this? Would you strengthen my faith? Would you help me to trust you more? And that's exactly what God does. He calls us to a life of faith, and then he enables that call. And he does that by pointing people away from ourselves and toward him. Look at how our passage starts. Before Abraham can say anything at all, God says, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Before anything else can be said, God is telling Abraham to look to him. When we have questions and wonder when God is going to do what he's promised, we have that reminder. I am your shield. A shield is an instrument of protection. And while you have a shield, you have security. That is who God is. He is our protector, our shield, a very present help in times of trial. So we need not worry. God is our shield. And who is this God? He is the Lord of all. He is the sovereign creator of the universe. Abraham asks these questions, and God takes him outside of his tent, and he says to him, look up. Verse 5, look toward the heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, so shall your offspring be. Once again, sure promise. There's no equivocation here. There's no wavering. It is sure. Two things we want to take away from this. First, ask again, who are we questioning? We wonder how God could do something or when He'll act, and He points us to Himself. He is the God who created the stars. There's no way that Abraham or any of us could know how many stars there are in the sky, but God does. He created every one of them. And Jesus will tell us later that God knows every hair on our heads. That is the God we are asking questions of. That is the God who is our shield. He is the God who spoke life into existence, who made the stars we marvel at, who made the birds that sing and cheer our hearts, who made our children. God is sovereign and he is in control. And because of that, because of who he is, he tells us not to look to ourselves, but to him. Second thing we want to take away here. God calls us to look at the bigger picture. How we are called to be a part of something bigger and greater than ourselves. You see, God understands that we struggle to believe his promises. Because we have a problem. We make a significant mistake all the time. Which is to take the promise of God and get so tunnel visioned that we apply those promises to every second of our life. Sweetie, come on down. You see, we read things like Romans 8, where Paul writes, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Or Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. We hear those things and we think, Amen! Right? My life's going to be amazing. No troubles for me. And if any moment of our life becomes difficult, we think, Well, where are you, God? Why aren't you holding up your end? I've been doing this like crazy this week, right? Lord, we finally have this positive momentum at our church. We're seeing you at work at St. Aidan's. We're getting ready to bust out of the doors and do amazing kingdom work. And now you're telling me, Shut it down for three weeks. <laughs> that happens in our life, and we think, God, where are you? What are you doing? Right? Where you been? And I wonder, <laughs> during this time, as we're all shut in, anybody else wondering, anybody else asking questions of God, what are you doing here, Lord? We follow the God who says, look up. And see that I am sovereign and in control. And So that's the promise to us, friends. That's the call to us. Look up and realize that God is doing greater things than we can begin to imagine. The truth is that the hyper-focus on ourselves and our situations is not what we're called to do if we believe in Jesus. Christians worship the Lord who said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's the opposite of looking at our own stuff and applying God's promises to me, me, me. It's the call to die to self that the old me, the self-centered me, needs to be done away with. And just to bring this home for us, consider the promise made to Abraham did you notice it's not going to get fulfilled in his lifetime? The promise to Abraham is that his descendants would be given the land. What was promised to Abraham is not going to be fulfilled in his seeing. If we needed a reminder that we're called to something bigger than ourselves, there it is, friends. And truth, promises like that can aggravate us. Why is the promise for them? Why can't I have it now, Lord? Right? I do that all the time. I want things now. I don't want to wait. But the Lord we follow is the one who's writing a bigger story, a much bigger story than, than we are. And we get to be a part of it, but we are not the main character. He is. Knowing that that is what Jesus calls us to, to to dying to ourselves, denying ourselves, and looking beyond ourselves to the greater story, are we willing to submit to him anyway? Are we willing to look not inward, but upward? Look up. Abraham is told to look up. He hears the promises of God, and we are told that Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That is how we follow God. We believe in him. We walk by faith, by looking to him, submitting our lives to Jesus. And the Father counts his righteousness to us, the righteousness of Jesus to us. We say it like that, man born blind, I believe, and we worship Jesus. Knowing that he has called us to a life of faith, of looking to him and his big story, God also knows we will struggle to do that. In fact, on our own, we won't do it. He knows our hearts are curved in towards ourselves. Our our hearts are a factory of idols. And we will worship ourselves above all things. And so, left to our own devices, we will never seek God. Knowing that, he works on our behalf. He works to fulfill the call. Where do we see this? Well, Abraham asks, how will I know, Lord? Show me how you're going to fulfill this promise. And in response, God says, bring me a heifer, a goat, a lamb, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. Well, of course, right? That makes perfect sense. Anytime I ask God something, he always says, go get me a bunch of animals, right? This makes absolutely no sense to us. What's going on here? Well, to Abraham, it would have made perfect sense. He knows exactly what's happening here. God and Abraham are about to start a covenant ratification ceremony. You see, back in the ancient world, you couldn't write out a contract. You couldn't list what each person would do and the consequences of not doing it and then sign on the dotted line. What you would have instead is one of these covenant ratification ceremonies. You would take animals and you would cut them in half, putting two rows down, making a center aisle for the two people who are entering into the covenant to walk shoulder to shoulder down. They'd walk down this aisle. The animals were cut in half as a way of saying that if either of these people should not uphold their end of the covenant, that should happen to them. They should be made like one of these animals, killed and torn apart. And so that's what's happening in verses 12 through 21. It's this covenant ceremony. Now, if that's happening, one might expect that God and Abraham would walk shoulder to shoulder down the aisle together. But look at the text. Look closely at it. Verse 12 tells us that Abraham fell into a deep sleep. He wasn't walking anywhere. God then tells Abraham that his descendants would go through years of difficulty. In a land that wasn't theirs. By the way, if we needed more evidence that God never promises a life without challenge or trial, there it is. But he says that even though this trial will happen, God will bring them out of the land that is not theirs and give them the land that he promised to Abraham. The promise is still there. It's still sure. Now, if all that wasn't fascinating enough, here's where it gets really interesting. Abraham and God don't walk down this aisle together. Rather, we read in verse 17, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the pieces. All right, so what's going on here, right? This just sounds like more, more weird to us, right? We don't get this. Well, what's being shown here is that God and God alone is passing through the pieces. God and God alone is ratifying the covenant. How do we see this? Where where am I getting this from? Well, remember when God is leading his people out of Egypt in the Exodus, right? We read in Exodus chapter 13, verse 21, and the Lord went before them by day, listen to this, in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire, He appears to them as a pillar of flame and a pillar of smoke. And what do we have here? A smoking pot and a flaming torch. It is the same imagery as we see in the Exodus. It is the the imagery of the presence of God. It is telling us that God, his presence, is walking through this aisle. It is passing through these pieces. He is doing it by himself. Now, why does that matter? Well, to be in covenant with God, to be in relationship with Him means being perfect as He is perfect. It means being sin-free, and we could never do that. And the result of sin, the sin that we all commit, all sin and fall short of the glory of God, Paul tells us, the result of that is death. It's like being made one of these these animals that are there, cut and killed. And so God stands in his own place and in the place of Abraham and his descendants so that if Abraham or when Abraham and his descendants falter, God will bear the punishment for breaking this covenant. He will be like the animals, torn and killed. And friends, that is exactly what happened. Because this covenant was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who was torn and beaten and broken on our behalf. You see, God chose a man, Abraham, to make a nation, and that nation was meant to be holy. It was meant to be an example to the other nations of God's goodness. And that nation would be led by a king, and out of the seed of that king would come the king, who would usher in the kingdom of God. And through his death, his life, his death and his resurrection, this covenant with Abraham would be fulfilled because it is through faith in Christ that God has built a kingdom, a nation with citizens more numerous than the stars. In Galatians, Paul tells us that it is those who believe in Jesus that are sons of Abraham. That's you and me and all who believe in Christ. Christ died so that we might live and be brought into the family of Abraham, to be the children of the promise that God made to Abraham, to make of him a nation. That is why it matters that God took on both ends of the covenant. It's a picture of his goodness and his love. It is a picture of grace. You see, God didn't have to enter into this covenant. Nor did he have to redeem us in Christ. You see, if he had did what justice had done, or would have done, he would have just thrown the book at us. He would have said, you sin, you pay. But that would not have been loving choice. Mercy would have said, okay, you sin, but you know what, don't worry about it. It's okay, off you go. But that wouldn't have been holy and just. Grace says, you have sinned and that matters. That needs to be dealt with, it needs to be paid for. But... I love you, and so I will bear the punishment you deserve. That is what grace is. God's grace is perfectly holy and perfectly loving because it is extended by the God who is perfectly holy and perfectly loving. God extended his grace by entering this covenant with Abraham and taking on both parts of it. And God extends his grace to us through the work of Jesus Christ. And just as Abraham had faith and it was counted to him as righteousness, so we are called to have faith in Christ so that we can be covered by the righteousness of Jesus. God knows that we couldn't uphold our end of the bargain and so he does it for us. In response, he calls us to believe in the promises he makes, to have faith that he is the God who loves us. God made a covenant with Abraham saying that, I will be your God and the God of your descendants, and I will be blessing you, and you will be my people. And that covenant has been fulfilled in Jesus, so that all people who believe in Jesus are children of Abraham, his spiritual descendants, and heirs to the promise made to him, that we would have relationship with God, who is our very great reward. My dear friends... Even in days like these, the call of God is to look up, to remember his big story, and to cast ourselves upon Jesus, finding in him the grace and love of God. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we praise you, we love you, we thank you that in your grace you did make this covenant, that you called out to Abraham, that you call out to us in Jesus. And so we pray, Lord, even in difficult days like these, we would cast ourselves upon Jesus, that we would receive his grace and that we would be strengthened and nourished by you. Help us to keep looking up and not to ourselves, looking up to you and seeing in you all that we need. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.